Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we continue our reflections into the book of Revelation. We will continue our study by re-engaging chapter 21, verse 8 and following. But before we get into that verse and, and subsequent verses, I do just want to continue to welcome all of you who are listening not only locally or nationally, but also abroad, especially in those countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Brazil, uh, France, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Croatia, India, uh, South Africa. As always, it brings me great joy that you are taking time out of your busy schedules to join me here as I broadcast from uh, the friendly confines of Chico, California, huh? And I should say the rainy confines this evening as it is pouring outside right now as I look out my window. Uh, anyhow, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. This verse, my friends, will have us considering uh, not only sin, but the need for courage. You know, I mentioned yesterday evening that uh, we have been spending a lot of time in biblical theology, but also out from that biblical theology where we examine the relationship between the old and new, we have been afforded on numerous occasions to really reflect practically into virtue. Huh? And this evening, we will have the opportunity to engage the virtue of courage, and of course, simultaneously, the virtue of uh, fortitude. So with that, let us get into the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8. But as for cowards, the unfaithful the depraved, murderers, the unchaste, sorcerers, idol worshipers, and deceivers of every sort. Their lot is in the burning pool of fire and sulfur, which is the second death, which is the second death. You know, what path leads to that horrible destination of, of the pool of fire and sulfur? Well, various kinds of evil here are named. It might surprise readers actually to see that cowards head the list. There's a reason why we're going to be talking about courage, because here, being a coward heads the list. I just found that interesting when I was reading through this. You know, to be our Lord's disciples requires what? That we put Him first to the point of readiness to die for Him. We have talked so much here on Seeds of Truth, about the first beatitude, that first beatitude which speaks about being poor in spirit, huh? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. To talk about being poor in spirit is to talk about longing for God the same way our lungs long for air. It is a permanent disposition, a state of being, a state of being ready, huh? That interior disposition of being ready which ultimately is that interior attitude of faith, that interior attitude of faith, being in relationship with God and always ready to act in accordance with your relationship with God. That is what the first beatitude is about. And consequently, my friends, 
That is why we have been talking about it so much. What does St. Thomas Aquinas say? That God is received according to the mode of the recipient. If we are open, if we have our arms open, ready to receive him, then my friends, we will do his will, even to the point of dying for him, right? Even to the point of dying for him. And I talk about all of this because in the absence of this, what do we have? But fear, that fear that leads to compromising our faith. You see, my friends, fear that leads to compromising our faith is an evil that must wholeheartedly be rejected. This is what verse 8 here is talking about. It's interesting. If you look at this next word, we have the word unfaithful. The Greek word translated unfaithful can either mean those who break their word or unbelievers, those who refuse the good news. Again, my friends, the first beatitude, how important is that? The interior attitude of faith. If you possess a heart that is poor in spirit, it is filled with faith, and it will be able to overcome those fears. Now, briefly, uh, the others here that are excluded from eternal blessedness include those who persist in conduct that violates what? But the Ten Commandments, murders, the unchaste, idol worshipers, and deceivers of every sort. Uh, other translations also say, and all liars. Now, two of the terms here are probably less familiar. The depraved. Literally, uh, we translate that as detestable or polluted. Um, the depraved was applied to the conduct of the whore that we talked about in chapter 17, verses 4 to 5, which has its roots in the Torah condemnations, huh? Especially idolatry and sexual immorality. We, again, have already spoken to this a great deal. How about the sorcerers? I'm always fascinated by this word because when you go into the Greek, what do you have? The pharmakoi. The Greek word for sorcerers is pharmakoi, or those who practice magical arts. Now, the first century context to this word refers to people who engage in occult practices and use drugs for evil purposes, right? I know some of these verses and some of these words um, are things we have explored already. To the context of this verse, all of these evils, all of these evildoers are those who will be excluded. But again, what leads this group, what leads this list, but the coward. My dear friends, why? But to be a sinner is to be a coward. Now, I don't know anyone who likes to be called a coward, right? But the reality is, <laughs> to be a sinner is to be a coward. This is why Christians need uh, the virtue of fortitude. This is why Christians need courage. Christians need strength, courage, and fortitude to profess their faith, since why? The world is against them. And if we call ourselves Christians, <laughs> why the world is against us? Sin is easy. Sin is easy. This is why we give in to it. We simply go along with our, our passions and desires to get immediate, though fleeting, pleasure, right? This is why we sin. We enjoy sin. We just go with the flow, floating along. See, there's no effort. <laughs> it's just so easy. This is why we sin. What did G.K. Chesterton once say? <laughs> 
A dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. A dead dog can be lifted on the leaping water with all the swiftness of a leaping hound, but only a live dog can swim backwards. What is he talking about there? The willingness and the courage to go against the grain. This is why we need to reflect on courage. This is why we need to reflect on the importance of living a virtuous life. I pulled uh, Donald DeMarco's work, The Heart of Virtue, off my bookshelf, and I was going through this, and I've drawn from him before, and he just has some um, beautiful words here on courage. He says that courage is not the same as fearlessness. It is not the absence of fear, but the control of it. Right? I like that. It is not the absence of fear, but the control of it. It is grace under pressure, as he quotes Ernest Hemingway. You see, my friends, fear, if left unchecked, does what? But sweeps over a person and renders him incapable of responding intelligently and effectively to a difficult situation. I mean, think about the last time you succumbed to your fears. Huh? Did it just sweep over you? And did you find yourself incapable of responding intelligently and effectively? We need to call upon God's grace. We need to call upon God's grace to overcome our fears. Fear always concentrates on what can go wrong. And in so doing, interferes with our confidence. Our confidence in being able to execute what is right from wrong. What does the word confidence mean? Confidere, trust, faithfulness, right? I was just talking about the first beatitude, poor in spirit, and in so doing, I was talking about the interior attitude of faith. What is faith about but trust? Trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith. So courage, faith-filled courage. Martin Luther King Jr., One spoke of the need for building dikes of courage to hold back the flood of fear. I love that. You see, my friends, courage gets above fear. We tend to think of courage in militaristic terms as a heroic stance against exceptionally fearsome and and life-threatening adversaries. Maybe you think of someone like Horatio at the bridge, or maybe a James Bowie at the Alamo. Or maybe World War I flying ace Eddie Rickenbacker gunning down 22 enemy planes. Certainly, these men were courageous. And theirs is the courage that makes one's heart stop for sure. But courage is not restricted to daring military accomplishments. Donald DeMarco here quotes Emily Dickinson, the diminutive poet recluse known as what but the Bell of Amherst. She never had the opportunity to develop the courage a soldier needs on the battlefield. She fought only the enemies of the soul and and had to find, perhaps, an even stronger courage to face them. As she once said, to fight aloud is very brave, but gallanter I know, who charge within the bosom, the cavalry of woe, the cavalry of woe. That interior cavalry, my friends, Can it not be a formidable adversary requiring no end of courage? Anxiety, doubts, disappointments, uncertainties, and the like. 
Have we not all experienced these, those external enemies that, that have a way of posing this, this perpetual challenge? We have talked on more than one occasion about the dark night of the soul here on the radio program. That sense of just feeling empty without any kind of recourse to God. The dark night of the soul demands a degree of courage that no one should ever, ever underestimate. Robert Louis Stevenson, another literary figure, is probably one of the most admired personalities in the history of English literature. Why? Well, largely because of the courage he expressed in working diligently and uncomplainingly in the face of great difficulties. And what am I talking about? Well, he had to deal with poor health that plagued his whole life. Though he filled his books, my friends, with exciting characters and, and exotic places. When you read Robert Louis Stevenson, what you find is that he was always more interested in man's inner spirit and man's what? Courage, fortitude. He held that everyone needed to possess courage, even those who outwardly lived less than adventurous lives. Robert Stevenson uh, once said that the ordinary person is no less noble because no drum beats before him when he goes out to his daily battlefields and, and no crowd shout his arrival when he returns from his encounter with victory and defeat. So we talk about courage in the context of warfare. But my dear friends, there's also a spiritual battle, one that we have been talking about a great deal here on the book of Revelation. So it is right that we talk about what we are talking about here. Courage. Courage is not something we need rarely, but what we need on a daily basis. We all need courage to live. We all need courage to suffer. We all need courage to struggle. And we can even say we all need courage to die. To live, to suffer, to struggle, and to die, these are all earmarks of every person's human existence. If you remove courage from the way we live, suffer, struggle, and die, you have a man without hope. You have a man in despair. We need the courage to be. I mean, brothers and sisters, we need the courage to be. In so many ways, when you start getting into the philosophy of existentialism, it's really a study of not only to be, but applied to the Christian and Catholic life, the courage to be, <laughs> okay? Interestingly, the famous uh, English Prime Minister Winston Churchill ranked courage as the first of human qualities because it is the quality which guarantees all the others. Now, you might want to debate that, whether it's first, but I think there's something to be said here. Because if you have the inner spirit to overcome the temptations that we've already talked about, that we found in verse 8, the temptations to overcome those evils, then you have a starting point. It is a great grace, my friends. It is a great grace. And it is a grace. It's a virtue, the virtue of fortitude. All of the great scholastics refer to courage as fortitude and defined it in in very broad terms as the virtue that enables us to face firmly and undismayed at the difficulties and dangers that stand in the way of 
duty and goodness. Duty and goodness. Two important words in our reflection this evening. Duty because each and every day we have a duty to serve, right? And if we are without courage, we will not fulfill that duty to serve. And I'm just not, again, talking about serving on the battlefield. I'm talking about serving our spouses. I'm talking about serving our children. I'm talking about fulfilling the duty at the workplace. And goodness, that we just don't do it without charity. But no, that our duty is filled with charity. In the Pulitzer Prize winning study of political fortitude, Profiles and Courage, John F. Kennedy argued that the opportunities to be courageous are presented to all of us. To be courageous, John F. Kennedy once said, requires no exceptional qualifications, no magical formula, no special combination of time, place, and circumstance. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. I love that. (laughs) I absolutely love that. Donald DeMarco adds here, We are all obliged to find courage in our day-to-day existence in order to resist the temptation to sacrifice our integrity for the promise of an easier life. I think here, Donald DeMarco gets to the heart of it. Why do we fail to do what God is asking us to do? Well, because it's just so easy, right? And it's attractive. This is why we were talking earlier about sin being so attractive and why being a coward is so easy and so attractive. We don't like to be called cowards. I don't like to be called a coward. But if we're going to look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves, we have to look at this closely and say, yeah, to be a sinner is to lack courage. If we don't like being called a coward, then we have to take a step forward and say, okay, it's time to be courageous. It's time to live in the virtue and gift of fortitude. It's interesting. I haven't mentioned this yet, but fortitude is the one virtue that is also a gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can already get a sense of why courage ranks so high. Huh? The famous aviator Amelia Earhart said that courage is the price that life extracts for granting peace. The soul that knows it not knows no release from little things. That is not a quote from some doctor of the church, but from Amelia Earhart. What a beautiful line is that. Courage is the price that life extracts for granting peace. The soul that knows it not knows no release from little things. Have you been there before? No release from little things. I've been there. (laughs) I've been there. So courage, my friends a virtue that we need to start praying for and a gift that we need to start asking for that we might become better versions of who God is calling us to be. Huh? Okay, let us get back into the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, verses 9 to 11. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. There it is again, my friends. Gosh, I just love this language. And in the Spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory 
of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Mm, mm, mm. So, as we've already talked about, the introduction of the New Jerusalem clearly parallels the vision of the harlot city, the Old Jerusalem, uh, that which we uh, already talked about in chapter 11. Now, the vision of the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21 closely follows Ezekiel's vision of the temple in the latter days. Here, like Ezekiel, John is transported to a mountain from which he will receive his vision. And before I go any further with these three verses, I wanted to just hit the pause button here and consider the mountain. You've heard me draw from Jesus of Nazareth, Pope Emeritus, Benedict XVI's great trilogy uh, on Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. In the first volume, he reflects into the symbolism of the mountain. And I wanted to read this. It's just so rich that uh, in reading about a mountain in these verses, I thought it would be appropriate to draw from Benedict XVI, read from Jesus of Nazareth here. And here he's reflecting on the symbolism of the mountain. So just close your eyes here and listen to, to Benedict's words. Once again, the mountain serves, as it did in the Sermon on the Mount and in the nights spent by Jesus in prayer, as the locus of God's particular closeness. Once again, we need to keep together in our minds the various mountains of our Lord's life. The mountain of the temptation, the mountain of his great preaching, the mountain of his prayer, the mountain of the transfiguration, the mountain of his agony, the mountain of the cross, and finally, the mountain of the risen Lord, where he declares in total antithesis to the offer of world dominion through the devil's power. All power in heaven and on earth is given to me. But in the background, we also catch sight of Sinai, Horeb, Moriah, the mountains of Old Testament revelation. They are all at one and the same time mountains of passion and of revelation. And they also refer in turn to the Temple Mount, where revelation become liturgy. When we acquire into the meaning of the mountain, the first point is, of course, the general background of mountain symbolism. I love this here. The mountain is the great place of ascent, not only outward, but also inward ascent. It is a liberation from the burden of everyday life, a breathing in of the pure air of creation. It offers a view of the broad expanse of creation and its beauty. It gives one an inner peak to stand on, and an intuitive sense of the Creator. History then adds to all this the experience of the God who speaks and the experience of the Passion, culminating in the sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of the Lamb that points ahead to the definitive Lamb sacrificed on Mount Calvary. Moses and Elijah were privileged to receive God's revelation on the mountain, and they are conversing with the One who is God's revelation in person. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Now you know why I just could not pass that up, huh? <laughs> so it is right here that John receives the vision of the new Jerusalem. Where? But on a mountain. 
what did in essence Benedict XVI just talk about, but seeing the mountain then beyond the next mountain, the river beyond the river. A vision unlike any other can always be found on the mountain. And so again, in the spirit, God carried John away to a great high mountain, showing him the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And my friends, the new Jerusalem has what but the glory of God, the fiery cloud of the Spirit's presence. And what do we call that? The Shekinah cloud, right? Which, of course, once dwelled in a temple. Ezekiel saw its departure from the earthly temple before its destruction by the Babylonians and later saw the Lord's glory return and dwell in the latter-day temple. Now John sees that same glory presence dwelling in the new Jerusalem. And again, my friends, this is the stuff of the liturgy. And why do I speak to that here? Well, my friends, if we're going to really capture the essence of what this verse is about, if the Eucharist is the holy city, the new Jerusalem come down here on earth, and this is what we receive, then the glory of God's presence dwells within us. And how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? You know, someone just asked me, how do you define holiness? There are many ways you can define holiness, and, and we've talked about that a great deal here. But as it was recently asked of me, it comes to mind. And the most simple definition of holiness is when one is living in God's presence. When one is living in God's glory presence. And let us emphasize glory because what did St. Irenaeus say? The glory of God is man fully alive. Amen? Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening in which to reflect into not only the richness of your word, but also the great virtue of courage that you have called us to. This great virtue that beckons each and every moment of each and every day, that again we might become the person you are calling us to be as a spouse, as a parent, maybe as a student, whatever you have put before us as a vocation, let us embrace that vocation with that great virtue, that great gift, that great quality of fortitude, of courage. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.